Hello everyone and welcome back to the Progress Talks. This is your host Nora Rummery and if you still don't know by now, this podcast is for my personal project which is a year-long capstone project that signals the end of the middle years program in the world of IB schooling. Today we are focusing on the 1990s and early 2000s, what it meant for women's representation both in movies and in the government. So let's get started. The 1990s and 2000s movie industry saw a rise in what we now call chick flicks. But what is a chick flick, you might ask? Well, a chick flick is a movie that's audiences would typically be mostly women, usually focusing around love or relationships. Some examples from this time include 10 Things I Hate About You, The Devil Wears Prada, Titanic, Love Actually, Mean Girls, and the list goes on. However, we've seen the term chick flick used in a derogatory way, almost as if these movies aren't good simply because they are made for women. And some of them are pretty awful, but that's more the fault of these big industries that were trying to crank out as many high-profiting movies that they could, sacrificing quality for profit. And some of them are plain bad in terms of women's representation, mostly the ones that have a woman completely change for a man or have her only personality be having a crush on someone, Not to say that a movie can't focus around romance and still be good, but the women in it should still have substance. Instead of tackling the many chick flicks that fall short, I wanted to talk about the ones that get it right and prove that the genre is more than it is made out to be. One movie that gets women's representation semi-right is the 2001 hit Legally Blonde. Yes, you heard me right, we're talking about Legally Blonde, a movie that is the definition of a chick flick. But let's talk about the title first. Legally Blonde really has two meanings. Number one is that the main character, Elle, is blonde and goes to law school, but it's also a play on the term legally blind, making the comparison of being blonde and typically feminine to having a disability. Now, is this necessarily the best comparison? Not really, because Elle still has a lot of privilege, mostly coming from the fact that she's white, the beauty standard, and has money. But think of how the media portrayed women like Britney Spears, who were also blonde and typically feminine. She was seen as being just a ditz and nothing more. Which is very similar to how the character Elle Woods is treated. So let's take a look at the plot. The story focuses on Elle Woods, a skinny blonde sorority girl from Malibu who is dumped by her long-term boyfriend because he thinks that Elle is not as serious enough of a person for him. To quote the ex-name Warner, I need to marry a Jackie, not a Marilyn. Elle is heartbroken, but is eventually inspired to follow Warner to Harvard where he's a grad student. Her plan is to win him back and show him that she is serious. Elle gets into Harvard, which is hard enough on its own, but once she gets there, she realizes that people don't take her seriously because of her extreme femininity, with pink, glitter, and a little chihuahua in a purse. Everything changes, though, once Elle realizes that she is a smart enough person on her own, and she also doesn't need to be following a man who she's too good for in the first place. And in the end, she uses her knowledge of stereotypically feminine interests and wins the court case that she's assigned to, going on to be at the top of her class. And this is the part of women's representation that Legally Blonde gets right. It shows Elle being smart and successful without having to sacrifice her femininity, things that seemed to be antonyms at the time. One of my favorite movies of all time is Mamma Mia, and at first glance, it doesn't seem much deeper than a silly chick flick that is also a musical comedy, and on some levels, that is true. It's by no means that deep of a movie, but it is a great example of women's representation. A study done by UCLA of movies in 2019 showed that only 8% of all characters were women over the age of 50. 
even though they make up 20% of the U.S. population. Of course, Mamma Mia! was released in 2008, but the statistics have not changed much since then. Mamma Mia! breaks these molds by having three middle-aged main characters who are all women, all of whom had found success or happiness without a man. Donna is also a single mother who was able to raise her daughter Sophie while she was working and while there was no father around. The women in the movie only support each other, there is no catty gossiping or dramatic fallouts, and Donna's friends are there for her and also help her raise Sophie. Lena Norms on YouTube has a great video on this titled Dear Haters of Mamma Mia, so if you are a fan of Mamma Mia or just think that this is interesting, go check out her video. Another movie that takes on the topic of bonds between mothers and their daughters is the 1992 screen adaptation of The Joy Luck Club. The Joy Luck Club is the first ever studio film that is about the experiences of an Asian American family. It focuses primarily on the relationship between immigrant grandmothers and mothers with their daughters, telling a story that had not been told before. The last movie that I want to talk about is the 1997 Cinderella movie. And the reason that this is such an important movie is because of its diverse cast, with a black woman playing the title role of Cinderella, showing how everyone can be and should be represented in all kinds of stories, even the ones that we think we've heard before. But now let's look at the political changes of the 1990s and 2000s. In the early 1990s, only about 5.6% of Congress was women, and by the early 2000s, that had grown to be about 14%. But why did these numbers start to change? Well, 1992 is often referred to as the Year of the Woman because of the record number of women candidates who ran for office and won, bringing four women into the Senate and 24 into the House of Representatives. Around this time also came the creation of the Riot Girl movements, a feminist punk subculture that aimed to address sexual harassment and to empower women who were both a part of punk culture and not. The Riot Girl movements were partially inspired by Anita Hill's sexual assault case against Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Anita Hill's case was a big deal for many reasons, one being that it was one of the first public sexual assault trials, and two being that it was against a member of the U.S. government. Her trial inspired women everywhere to speak out against their experiences with sexual assault and ultimately paved the way for the 2018 Me Too movement. So while the 1990s and early 2000s didn't have a specific social movement or cultural revolution that defines the time like the decades prior, a lot of what was happening politically back then is reflected in what is happening politically now. And now we've successfully made it full circle from 2020 present-day women's representation to way back in the 1920s, the golden age of Hollywood, to the so-called new Hollywood, to the 1990s and 2000s. If you've been following along this podcast since the beginning, I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope that you learned something. There is one more bonus episode, so stay tuned with a special guest speaker. Once again, this is Nora Rumry, and thank you for listening to The Progress Talks.